0: Hello, and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex, and today is June 2nd, 2023, and I am joined on the podcast today by my friend, the excellent, the great, the inimitable senior tech reporter, Mary Ann Azevedo. Mary Ann, hello, and how are you?
1: Oh, I'm great, Alex. Hope you are.
0: The baby woke up at like five today, so uh. I'm hanging by the proverbial thread. <laughs> but that can't slow us down because later on the show, we have Dominic Midori Davis jump on to talk about Atlanta because TechCrunch has quite a lot brewing on that front. Before we get to that, there's a lot to chat through, including fraud is bad, as it turns out. Our deals of the week are Web Roulette and then Stripe Buying OK. Then we're going to riff on Klarna and the health of fintech more generally, early stage reports from QED and Andreessen Horowitz. Then we're going to wrap with all things Atlanta. It's going to be a hell of a show. Marianne, before we get into it, though, we do have a survey. What's going on there?
1: Yeah, we have a listener survey, which is super exciting and something that, that we're very interested in. We want to hear from you. So let us know what you love about the show, what you want more of, less of, just any feedback you have head to bit dot L Y forward slash equity pod survey, all one word.
0: Awesome. And we really do want to hear from you. This helps us kind of figure out how to improve the show. We do it once a year and each year it's been incredibly helpful for us. So if you have a second, please fill that out. We're going to look through everyone's answers. We graph it, we chart it, we learn from it. So much appreciated. Now, Marianne on the fraud front a couple of big news this week one of which involves our dear old friend elizabeth holmes what's the latest
1: okay so she's she's finally behind bars that's the latest i mean it It feels like it took forever for this to happen. And for a little while there, we were even wondering like if there was a chance she wouldn't end up behind bars, which of course would lead to like universal outrage, but it's happened. She's here. Amanda took us through this amazing timeline of how we got here, what Elizabeth Holmes did exactly to put her behind bars.
0: I was very impressed in that timeline she put together of how many things happened over such a long period of time to get to today. A course of perhaps faster justice also involved the uh, SEC settling with a couple of former Coinbase people, one former employee, and then I believe someone that he was sharing information with. It turns out, Marianne, you can still get a hit with insider trading charges, even if you're dealing with crypto. I'm not shocked, but it does appear that some people may be out there.
1: Yeah, I'm not so sure why they're shocked by this. I mean, it is illegal. And so, like, why should they get it pass just because it's crypto? Like, why would that make a difference? Securities yeah. are securities, right?
0: So, in the world of biotech and fintech, which is to say, a big chunk of the startup world, fraud remains a bad business model. Okay, putting that aside, deals of the week. Now, I have a bit of a treat for us because instead of a venture round or a major news event, I want to talk about Web Roulette, which is an app that I downloaded and played with, and TechCrunch covered. And just to start, Marianne, do you recall Chat Roulette? I do not. Okay, chat was this thing and you could have like a, a video call and then you would like hit the button and you would get a random person around the world. So it was like, spin the wheel, have a chat. And it became a service where you might not want to bring along your young children. Random people on the internet don't always line up with your view of what's decent or not but it became kind of an infamous internet meme thing. So the word roulette in this sense applies quite well because the idea of getting a random thing is brought now to the web. So web roulette, you put in some information and then it helps you kind of feed you new websites to look at, new articles to look at. And it has a shake feature when you shake your phone and get a random web page. I think it's great. Curious what you think.
1: I mean, I think it's a super interesting concept. It sounds really, really fun. I have to say, I have not yet tried it out. One thing that I'm curious about, as you said that it will suggest sites to you. So it's not, I know that users, for example, can enter like websites that they go to frequently. So it just becomes easier to go to those sites. Right. But like, what about these suggestions? That part I'm not, I'm not as clear on.
0: It's actually pretty simple. So when you fire up the app, you can just go through and say, look, I like entertainment news. So give me TMZ and TikTok cringe from Reddit. And then under technology, you can hit, you know, TechCrunch, Engadget, whatever, Finance, Bloomberg. And then it creates kind of like a a collection of sites it'll pull from for you. But there's a little bit of a tweak. So you have to swipe and that's how you kind of like get new stuff. And then after you swiped enough, you can do the shake thing and then it'll give you a random page, maybe not from the same set as I understand it. I didn't know that when I was testing and I ran out of swipes, sorry, shakes uh. random shakes Had to do more swipes so I could get more shakes. This is how you know that I'm not of the, the TikTok generation.
1: So. Well, isn't this the same team that developed Heads Up, which is a really fun game that I used to play with my kids a lot?
0: Yeah. And apparently it's still one of the most highly grossing apps on the App Store. So this is a team that certainly has a pedigree to them. And that's probably why, you know, TechCrunch covered this. The app, I did check the analytics, isn't exactly blowing up on the charts, but it is good fun. So if you, like myself, uh, spend too much time browsing the internet and just need a little bit of a helping hand, Web Roulette, give it a try. Okay, let's talk about, okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's an interesting name, right? For a startup that just got acquired by Stripe. So I got to exclusively talk to this company. Stripe hadn't acquired any companies since January, 2022. So this caught my attention. Stripe's been through a lot over the past year and a half. It's seen its valuation decline. It went from what, 95 billion to about... 50 billion?
0: 50, 55, somewhere. Yeah, yeah.
1: something like that. Laid off a bunch of people last year, I think about 1,100. So, you know, it's had some growing pains. Interestingly, it acquired a company that is not a fintech.
0: Mm. Mm. So when we think about Stripe, we think payments, we think Stripe Atlas, we're thinking about how money moves around the internet. So if OK doesn't fit into that world, what does it do?
1: Yeah, it's a startup that's developed what they call low-code analytics software, basically to help, they say, engineering leaders better understand how their teams are performing, like creating these, help them create performance dashboards. In other words, to really better gauge just how... I guess, how well the engineering team is doing. So it's not analyzing like output, like codes, right? It's not. I see. Yeah, that's not what it's what it's doing.
0: Well, I mean, measuring output in terms of lines of code written is pretty silly because then you could just look very productive by writing horribly, poorly optimized spaghetti code. It's a bit like if you and I were paid by the word, you know what? I'd make a lot of money because <laughs> I can go on for ages if I don't have an editor.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that would be like quantity over quality, you know. But I talked to the one of the co-founders of OK, which, by the way, raised $6.6 million over time. It was in the YC Winter 2020 cohort, I believe. Investors include Sequoia, Kleiner Perkins, and interestingly, some angel investors, including Stripe CEO, Patrick.
0: Here's my question. Stripe's a big company, lots of money, enormous value of stock, can afford to buy any small company that it wants to. It picks OK from the mix. What is it going to do with it? Is it going to use this basically as a way to buy a tool and bring it in-house to apply to its own engineering teams? Or yeah. is it going to try to offer this service externally to other folks?
1: No, no, no. This is an internal thing. In fact, OK had customers like Plaid, which is you know a big competitor to Stripe. So, Obviously, when I talked to, okay, I was like, well, what's going to happen now? And they're like, of course we're transitioning out of serving. All of our customers, we are only going to be focused on helping Stripe become more efficient. Stripe's engineering team become more efficient so they can be better positioned to attract and retain talented engineers. That's what they told me.
0: Well, it's a win for Sequoia, Kleiner Perkins, and Angels and YC because now they all probably own a little bit more Stripe stock. And who in the venture world doesn't want to own more of that? and I'll just close with this. The name okay is not merely okay. We think it's kind of a 10 out of 10 because we made a lot of jokes in the pre-show just figuring this story out. And uh, we should have more, more generic words for company names like, yeah, and maybe those would be great names.
1: (laughs) I guess. All right.
0: Now we're going to take a very quick break and when we're back, Klarna. All right. So, Marianne, a company that you and I have paid outsized attention to over the years is Klarna, a Swedish player in the buy now, pay later space, has expanded to other areas. And I recently got to take a look at its Q1 financials, which I found to be, generally speaking, pretty positive. But if I recall, you recently spoke to one of the executives of the company and had a pretty good vibe for what they were building.
1: Yeah, yeah. I did interview the CEO earlier this year. And the main focus of that interview was how fast they're growing in the US. Like they're They're growing a lot here, which is interesting. Another interesting thing that came out of that interview is that their fastest growing revenue stream at that time, he told me, is actually in the company's marketing offerings, which is kind of unexpected, right? Because Klarna has always been sort of synonymous with buy now, pay later. But he was very emphatic to say, look, that's just one facet of our business. It's not all. And so now, you know, they're doing things like offering retailers ads and sponsored content in the app, virtual shopping. They've actually, I, I think, in my humble opinion, done a really good job of broadening out of just being a buy now, pay later provider.
0: Yeah. One thing that I think people haven't really caught on to I mean, TechCrunch has covered this somewhat, but if you don't use the app, you might not know, but the Klarna application that you can get for your phone is more of a shopping experience than a payment experience. Right. And one thing that Klarna discussed in its Q1 2023, kind of like investor update that was shared publicly, by the way, thank you, Klarna, means the world to people like me who can therefore read your numbers and know what's going on. Thank you. They talked a lot about AI, of course, and also how there's different models around the world for shopping and that they kind of Put this as the Western model and then the Chinese model. And in the Western model, you search for something and buy it. In China, and I presume other Asian countries as well, there's more of a recommendation focus. So you get stuff recommended to you, and then you kind of pick from that. A different way to go about things, all involves shopping. But they think that AI is going to help people do more of that recommended shopping in other markets. And I think that's going to bring more growth to the company's app here in the United States if that catches on. So kind of like an interesting learning from Asian Mm e-commerce plus AI, throw in the Swedish Klarna application, and maybe that mix is going to be quite lucrative.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I agree. I also love how transparent they are with their numbers for a private company. That's pretty rare. So definitely gonna be paying attention to what happens at Klarna over the next year or
0: two. And just a couple of quick numbers, because I can't go away without sharing some of these. In the first quarter of this year, Klarna's gross merchandise volume, or GMV, rose 13% to just under $20 I bet you're thinking 13% growth. That's not amazing. But the e-commerce market shrunk 2% globally over that time frame. So actually not that bad. And operating costs are going down. Credit losses are going down. The company's more profitable than before. And frankly, it just looks pretty healthy. And so I wonder, Marianne, if it's time in the barrel when it was, Layoffs and valuation cuts and downruns. I wonder if that period's now behind it and this is going to be kind of the new chapter for the company.
1: Yeah, perhaps. I mean, you know, obviously it was probably overly inflated in terms of its valuation, but as many fintechs and other companies were. So it, I think it's come back down to earth. I like that. I feel like Sebastian, as the CEO, he didn't let that get him down, right? He was just like, hey, you know, this happened. We're going to move forward. We're going to just keep on going. So even though they saw their valuation drop 85%, which is a lot to $6.7 billion last year, they seem like they've been heads down on like just doing what they can do to keep things growing.
0: Yeah. And on that front, I, it's another story in a trend that I'm seeing in which we're seeing kind of fintech unicorns do better than they had been. I've also been looking at Starling and Monzo, a couple of neobanks that are showing some strong profitability. And it does seem that higher interest rates are providing some general lift to the fintech world. And that is of a special interest to fintech investors like QED, who are out there in the market, Mary, and we know, but are apparently taking a slightly different tack towards putting capital to work this year.
1: Yeah, QED, which is fintech focused, and they've been around for a while now, I think well over a decade, maybe 16 years. They just announced last week that they raised $925 million across Ooh. two new funds. Yeah, which is which is, you know, pretty impressive in this day and age, especially because they are so such a niche firm, right? They're not just doing early stage investing broadly. I mean, they are all about fintech, right? Nigel Morris, one of the co-founders is a former Capital One exec. And so they had five portfolio companies, IPO in 2021. Yeah. Remitly, Avid Exchange, SoFi, NewBank and Flywire.
0: And SoFi and NewBank, I know have done well. NewBank's worth north of 30 billion last time I checked. And SoFi is the one SPAC that worked.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, they have a, a pretty good track record. They've been doing this for a long time. They've been investing in FinTech before FinTech was cool. Let's, let's be honest. And one of the things that I got from this Q&A that I had from Nigel Morris is that even though they have this pretty impressive track record, they've got a lot of capital, they're still going to be investing very carefully. He told me that pacing of investing out of these new funds will be extremely disciplined. I think that's interesting. And another thing he noted that he and his co-founder, or rather his co-founder, likened what has happened in the fintech space over the couple of past couple of years to Darwin taking a two-year vacation, but now finally returning.
0: That's a really polite way of saying the Reaper is back. <laughs> but what I like about this, Marianne, is that it actually fits into something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is when... There is a lot of money in venture capital. Things are very expensive. Startup shares are very expensive. Valuations go up. And VCs race to put as much capital to work as quickly as they can because that's the game kind of on the field. And then when things contract, VCs have less money to spend, but things are cheaper. So to me, if you could raise a big fund when things are bad, you can get a big stake in a lot of stuff that will be good later on when things reheat. So it's cool to see this firm not pull back entirely and not change their thesis, but instead... Maybe be a little bit smarter about where they put capital to work, but put a lot to work during this period of cheaper prices. Makes sense to me. Right. Agreed. And uh, on the venture capital front, we've also been thinking a lot about the Andreessen early stage stuff has been bouncing around, catching you up. Insider had a cool story a couple of weeks back now about how Andreessen Horowitz was working to find a way to put money into a, a mix of early stage funds. And I'm not going to drag everyone through the history of Andreessen Horowitz and different early stage efforts, but Marianne, there was an effort, long time, over the last maybe 10 years of late stage funds, big funds, trying to go increasingly early. And this seems to be kind of the latest step in that saga for Andreessen. I just kind of wanted to get your take on this before we move on. Fund to funds, going into early stage funds to get maybe insight into upcoming deals? What do you think?
1: I mean, it is interesting because what, like 10 years ago, Andreessen was talking about getting out of the seed stage investing game. But then in 2021, they put together a $400 million seed stage fund. But I I think it kind of speaks to the environment we're in. Late stage investing is definitely on the decline. All investors, including Andreessen, are probably proceeding a lot more slowly, a lot more cautiously when it comes to investing in later stages. So it's not a shock that they would want to get in earlier. Sequoia did this last summer as well, right? They created a fund of funds for early stage investments. So now that Andreessen's doing it, I think it just speaks to our current environment that firms are looking for earlier bets. They know they probably overpaid for a lot of things or overinflated valuations in the recent years. And they're kind of, I don't want to say it's a reset, but I think they're wanting to start over in a way.
0: Yeah, my question with this is what companies weren't going to pitch Andreessen later on. Like does this really actually increase their deal flow or, you know, deal pipeline visibility? Because if you're like a top 5 firm by brand, I presume everybody when they're going out on the road to raise an A or a B or a C or a D or an E or a seed is going to at least try to knock on your door, right? So to me, they're already so centralized. Why have to put out increased feelers? That's what I couldn't quite sort out in my head.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. I mean, it is an interesting model of backing other funds. And so I can't get into their head. They're not super you know, transparent and talking about their strategy, honestly, at least not to, to journalists. I think they do post a lot of blogs and things like that. So it's it's a little more challenging to get into their heads about rationale behind this, but I guess we'll we'll see how it works out for them.
0: Yeah. And a little clarification before we move on. Insider wasn't sure if this was going to be money from Andreessen Horowitz's own funds it was going to put into these other funds, or if it was going to be capital from its individual general partners or managing directors, whatever. So the exact capital source is not entirely clear, but the gist is Andreessen as a group individually or as a company trying to put more money into earlier stage companies again. Maybe we'll just never see the end of this, Marianne. Maybe it'll be like self-driving cars. Everyone works on it. Everyone keeps trying. Everyone says it's important. And then it doesn't actually go very far.
2: Very, very possible.
0: All right. Well, let's move on. Let's get Dom on the show. It is now time to talk about all things Atlanta. Dom, welcome back to the show.
2: Yes. Thank you for having me.
0: It's been too long since you were on, but I hear you're actually a little bit busy lately with all things found. How goes it being now a week in, week out podcast host?
2: I feel like, you know, I'm, I finally have a podcast. You know, it's everyone had a podcast. So I'm like, now I get it. Now I'm on the wave. I'm on the podcast wave.
0: Marianne, does that mean we can now say she's a cool kid? I'm not sure.
1: Oh, she's long been a cool, she's a cooler <laughs> kid. How's that's, that?
0: That's absolutely true. <laughs> but Don, we have you on because next week we are doing our Atlanta City Spotlight, continuing TechCrunch's look around the US, kind of taking that closer dive into cities that we think are particularly important and interesting. And you have been involved with the Atlanta Step in the Saga. So one, how'd that happen? And two, why are we looking at Atlanta?
2: Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited to talk about Atlanta. I don't know. I think I was like talking to one of the editors, Henry and I, we were just talking one day. And then all of a sudden, Atlanta came up and he was like, we never we've never done an Atlanta spotlight before. And I was like, what? I was like, we have to go to Atlanta. I was like, we can't just not do Atlanta. And so that kind of, you know, set the wheels into motion.
0: So we have a lot of listeners from around the world who are less familiar with American geography and also kind of the cultural map of this country. So for folks who are not based in the U.S. or North America, why is Atlanta important and why were you so excited about it?
2: Well, I just feel like, aside from the fact that I was born there, I'm a little biased. I'm not going to lie. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> Hometown pride. I was born there. Atlanta has so much culture and vibrancy to it and... I know that I covered it a little bit when I was looking into blue cities and red states, and I know a lot of founders that are there, and I know there's a lot of black founders in particular that are there. Like, there's just so much happening.
0: Before we get into the, the founders and the venture capital totals, Marianne, I know you've looked at Atlanta before, and you had a particular moniker for it that I think fits your fintech vibe.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I really like you, Dom. I grew very fascinated with Atlanta a few years ago and I started doing some research and discovered things like it's historically been known as Transaction Alley because there's an estimated 70% of payments transactions handled out of the city, which is insane. Like who who knew that, right? I think Atlanta's this under the radar tech hub that people just didn't didn't realize, which, you know, I've always thought is so much fun to cover. So I'm so glad that you're doing this. And I think also, I don't know if if everyone realizes it's home to so many Fortune 500 companies, like over a dozen, right? Yeah.
2: I mean, I remember growing up thinking it was so weird how Atlanta had like the busiest airport in the nation. And I'm like, how? But now I see, I see why there's so many things that are happening down there.
1: What are some of the startups there that are like, have gone on to become unicorns. Maybe people don't even realize that they are based in Atlanta.
2: I think the big one that people might know of is Calendly. It came from the Atlanta Tech Village, I believe that's the name of it. And that is like this big incubator of just co-working space and talent. And a lot of companies have come out, but the biggest one people might know of is Calendly.
0: Other names like Cabbage, One Trust, and Full Story, I think, are also yeah. on that unicorn list. But apart from some major unicorns, we also have some interesting folks coming onto the spotlight. I think the mayor is coming, and also we have someone from the Opportunity Hub. What's going on there?
2: Yes. Oh, my goodness. The mayor. I'm so excited to talk to the mayor. I did an audience question shout out uh, on social media. I was like, if anyone has anything to ask the mayor, tell me and I'll ask. And so we've got some good local questions coming in. Rodney Sampson from the Opportunity Hub is coming on to talk about the next generation, you know, building generational wealth and making a more equitable venture space. And we have some, we have a SAS panel, an Investing in Atlanta panel. And then, of course, we have the pitch off competition. And I'm so excited for that. And we have some cool judges. And I, I kind of love how everyone in the ecosystem kind of came together to also really help us put this event on. And I'm so excited.
0: Yeah. And Marianne, you know, one thing you and I have tracked on the show and on the site has been, you know, the changing venture capital saga that's out there. So cities and countries have gone up and gone down, but it seems like Atlanta is actually holding up pretty well in the current climate. I was looking at PitchBook and Crunchbase data before we jumped on the mic today. And it seems that Atlanta is actually off to a pretty good start to 2023, perhaps even matching its 2022 numbers on pace thus far this year. So Dom, I'm curious, how active and busy does it seem down there compared to a year or two ago?
2: It seems pretty busy and it seems like it's only growing. A lot of people are, you know, relocating to the south. I think last year when we were looking at the data, the southeast U.S. in general was one of the only regions not to be hit as hard by the venture pullback. And so there's a lot of things that are happening, a lot of investors, a lot of excitement, a lot of activity. And although, you know, the venture ecosystem is, of course, seeing somewhat of a drawback, but despite that drawback, the numbers are still really strong and really good. And I think that that means something.
1: I think was it last year that startups in the city raised around 1.65 billion according to PitchBook which may have been down compared to the year before but everywhere was down right compared to the year before but it was still like the second highest funding allocated to the city in like recent history so that's impressive.
2: Yeah, a billion that's a lot of money a billion dollars I'm like whoa, I, maybe I'm hyping up Atlanta too much. <laughs> but I don't know. I think that's this is like a city to watch. Like, I definitely think that this could be not even the next Austin. Like this is the next Atlanta.
0: Oh, oh, OK. So I was hoping we'd have some Austin Atlanta rivalry on this call, given where Marianne lives. So <laughs> let's just go ahead and, and wrap this little segment before we have to go with some predictions. So in five years time, which is a more predominant tech hub in the US, Austin or Atlanta? Marianne, Whoa, you first.
1: That's a tough one, Alex. I mean, you know, I'm based here, so I feel like I should be loyal to my city. But I would have to say one thing Austin lacks that maybe Atlanta has is this kind of a lack of a global presence, right? Like, I mean, we have a lot of companies that are based in other cities that have set up offices here and campuses here. But like when you look at companies actually based here outside of Dell, for example, there's not a lot that are truly global. So I think Atlanta does have an advantage there.
0: All right, Don. same question to you. And I think I may know what your answer is going to be.
1: (laughs) I'm
2: biased, but I think Atlanta, I definitely think a part of it is going to rely on the fact of cost of living as well. I mean, Austin right now, you know, prices are high. Prices are high in Atlanta, but definitely... I think the livability factors might put Atlanta right now Atlanta and the surrounding area
1: to that point I have to share Austin in 2017 was rated the number 1 place to live I can't remember if it was US News and World Reports right number 1 guess what it was ranked this year
0: uh, what n- number
1: 1
0: 40
2: 40 Oh, my 40. gosh, that's a drop And that off. is
1: largely to your point, Dom. It oh. has grown increasingly unaffordable. It has the housing prices went absolutely insane over the past couple of years. They're starting to level out a little bit, but it's way overpriced and it's priced out a lot of people. And that's that's not good.
2: Yeah, no.
1: I definitely
2: think that that's going to probably be a factor. But then the bad thing is, is that that might happen to Atlanta as more people go to that area. So we'll see. We'll see. Dom, when is
0: the Atlanta
2: City Spotlight and how can people tune in? June 7th, virtually starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. I think that's 11 a.m. Pacific. So, yep, show up. Uh, so that's 11 Pacific. What are that Mountain time. Does anyone actually know how to do mountain time? Is so it plus one? It be would
0: noon? be noon. Yeah, it would be noon. And then mountain 1 p.m. Central. I don't think mountain time is real. Frankly, I don't.
2: I've never heard anyone say mountain time before. Like I know somebody in in the
1: mountain time.
2: Oh, you do? You've met like a real life mountain time person. Yeah, I
0: have. A real life mountain time person. It's it's like the Bermuda Triangle of the United States. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, Dom, as always, lovely to have you on the show. If you want to hear more of Dom, you can, of course, go check out our podcast, Found. She hosts that with Rebecca Skutak. They talk to founders doing deep dives and how they built stuff and what they've learned along the way. However, a couple things before we jump, everybody, don't forget we are over on Twitter under the handle equity pod, and you can also save money off of your TechCrunch Plus access if you use the code equity. And then Marianne, before we let everyone run away, what was that URL for the survey?
1: Yes, it is bit.ly forward slash equity pod survey, all one word. Fill it out. Yes. We want to hear from you.
0: Yes, please do that. We really do want to learn. We will listen. We will possibly even make some changes. And uh, if you want to have a voice in what we do here at Equity three times a week, well, this is your chance. All right. Marianne, we're out of here for the week. We're back Monday morning. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Bye.